Welcome to episode 99 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up by four allegedly intelligent-ish guys discussing our passion for Linux. My name is Noah. Delighted to be here with you today. And joining me are my friends, Michael. Hey, Michael. Hello. I get to edit there. <laughs> and now you got more to do because you said something. And now you have more to do because I acknowledged it. Ryan, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing better than Michael, apparently. <clears throat> and last but not least, Zeb, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing really well. Thank you very much indeed. Fantastic. So, Ryan, tell me a little bit about what you've been up to this week. So, obviously moving because everything's like gone here. But in between the chaos of moving, I was able to check out Valve's new game, Artifact, out there, which released uh, two days ago now. And had day one uh, support for Linux out there. So, I live streamed it the mm -hmm. second it became available and had a lot of fun nice. with that game. I lost in the tutorial twice <laughs> so I, I ended the stream when i finally won but i also did something that i think you might find interesting noah is i invested in lightworks tutorials uh since our last discussion <laughs> and i have really enjoyed lightworks um so i went out and got a pro license even though i shouldn't be spending any money right now uh with the new house purchase coming and i did that right after talking to their customer service because I was asking them about licensing issues with me distro hopping and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And they're like, hey, don't worry about it. We got you, practically, yeah. was their response, which was really cool. Um, the one thing I will say that I ran into is in the license, it comes with Boris FX and Graffiti FX as kind of a perk. You buy the pro license, you also get these kind of bundled in. Well, I noticed there's no Linux version for those because they, they're, separate, they're separate companies that make these packages. So I reached out to the... Boris uh, team and I asked them, hey, when's the Linux support coming? And they said, unfortunately, the FX and graffiti programs do not have a Linux component and unlikely there will be Linux versions of these programs. This is mainly because the FX graffiti programs were made for a series of editing programs, the rest of which are exclusively Mac and Windows. So I just want to say shout out to Lightworks, not a shout out to the Boris, Boris FX yeah. team. You could do better out there and supporting Lightworks who right. supports Linux and have some support for your products out there. Or you cannot do better and go to business. We don't care either way. Yeah, Goodbye. there you go. Because all that adds is honestly <laughs> effects you can already do in the program. It just makes them for you and you kind of throw them in there. So, I mean, it's not a huge deal. It's just annoying because, you know, they should support Linux out there. So how have you found the Lightworks experience? Have you found it to be, I mean, it's not intuitive. We all know that, but the tutorials have helped and you've been able to get get it done? Yeah, I, what I did is I spent, you know, probably a total of maybe six hours watching minutes. videos over days, just learning, watching their videos on their site and then other videos and then just playing along with it. After that time, and it, to me, honestly, it's very intuitive. They're original. When I played with Lightworks back in the day and they kind of had that operating system like desktop feel, right. that was not yeah. good. This new one, it, it once you kind of figure out how they've laid it out, to me, it's yeah. very intuitive. It is not difficult to learn at all. I was able to do text effects. I was able to do overlays. I was able to do, obviously, cuts and uh, effects like slow down and speed up and all of that stuff almost immediately. And I actually love the two-pane camera system where you can edit and mark in on the clips that you're working on. And then you also have your main edit window over on the right. I think it's actually very intuitive now. They've done a fantastic job with it. I'm so a believer. Like you yeah, like the I'm rework. You, okay. That's very yep. cool. Well, good for you. I'd, it would be interesting to follow that, that, uh, that discussion, follow your path as that goes on. Uh, yep. Michael, tell me a little bit. I know you're, uh, you weren't feeling so great. Are you feeling any better? 
I feel much better, like 95% better. I still have a little bit of like a something, I don't know, but it's, I'm mostly fine. Um, but I've been using my, uh, my time while I've been sick and not to work on a bunch of things. And one of the things is to streamline the production of both this show and This Week in Linux. And I've made it where it takes usually from my editing of each episode about two to three hours a piece. I've ne- I've actually streamlined it so that This Week in Linux takes me about 30 minutes and this show takes about an hour. And the more I can work on it, I'm going to make it where, um, like la- last episode, it was relatively on time. I mean, for the most part it was, but it was kind of like an hour or two out of the time I wanted to, but it was close. The next one, on time. Yeah. Uh, so lots of things I'm doing. And I, actually, we, we, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about this uh, note app called Joplin. And I started just trying it this, this week and to like, you know, trying it more than just like uh, occasional trying, but like porting all of my notes over to see how it handles it. And if you set up the sync structure, it's fantastic because like the mobile app and everything works. And like, as soon as you push a new update, it will automatically update to the rest of the devices and stuff. Like, and it's, and it also works through WebDAV. So you can have it on a server that's not access to the, like the public internet and still get access to it through the WebDAV. And it works great. So I'm a big fan of that thing now. That's, that's really cool. And you know, I'll just, you know, I know we give you a hard time, but the truth is that doing a podcast is about like 10 to 15 times more work than people see on the screen for every hour of screen time that you Mm -hmm. see, you can assume that there's probably two to four hours of preparation. And then there's probably two to four hours of editing for that one hour screen time. So Michael's doing both sides of that. So for every one hour that you see him on the screen, there's probably eight hours of work that that he's put in cumulatively of the show. And you're doing that right. for not one, but two shows. So just from one guy to another that knows what you're doing behind the scenes, just thank you very much. And to streamline that, that's really cool because you're going to help other podcasters out there. If, you know, you're willing to share your methods, which I know you typically are. For the most Zeb, <laughs> Zeb uh, what kind of trouble have you gotten into? Um, well, thankfully, not a lot this week. I've just been resting up the whole week, um, keeping an eye on social media. Um, and keeping my ear to the ground um, in case my family's been trying to organise a 60th birthday party for tomorrow, Saturday, December the 1st. So thankfully I've not heard anything happening, so I might be safe. You're turning (laughs) 60 tomorrow? Yep. And uh, a friend of mine at work made me this Linux 60, not (laughs) 6.0. Nice. And that's not a TM, that's my initials. But he actually made this and he, he didn't know whether he'd got a retro penguin. I said, nope, that's Tux. So, yeah, looking that's forward to it. Cool. Well, happy that's birthday, great. man. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Happy Thank birthday. you. Happy birthday. So, uh, Ryan, what great things have people said about you this week in the email? All kinds of great things, except this email, actually, because it starts <laughs> out Hello, gentlemen. Use loosely, of course, in Ryan's case, exclamation mark. What is that supposed to mean? You know what? Get this email. We're not even reading it. No, I'm kidding. All right. All right. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a pretty good email. So it says, quick funny story. This past Saturday, I was trying to get some work done. My kids, Ben, eight, and Eileen, six, were complaining for the upteenth time that day about how bored they were. Anybody who has kids, they can relate to that story. I certainly mm-hmm. can't. The weather was lousy. It's been snowing constantly since before Halloween here in Vermont, and they had early onset cabin fever and desperation. I said, why don't you guys draw some pictures of Tux and Geeko making a snowman so I can use them as my wallpaper? I run OpenSUSE Tumbleweed on my laptop. My son Ben immediately yells out, 
The guys at Destination Linux would love that. My call <laughs> dropped. Awesome. And I said, how do you know about Destination Linux? So apparently we're making it around the schools right now. We're the new hip thing out there. Uh, and he said, come on, Dad. You're always listening to it when you're in the car. So just so you know, you're a podcast famous with six to eight-year-olds. That's exactly the target market we're going after, exactly. which is awesome. Perfect. Uh, he's attaching masterpieces created by Ben and Aline, which were, by the way, awesome. We downloaded them immediately. We've told Michael to get them on the website. They yep. are so well done. So cute. Already set Absolutely it up. It's going to be on the show notes when we post this. Yeah, so he says, seriously, though, I'd like to express my gratitude for the show and all the work you put into it. I've been a listener since the beginning days with Rocco and Rob, and no matter who's at the helm, it's always been a real pleasure and great fun to listen to, to the unique perspectives that each host and guest has brought to the table. So I'll be signing up today at the almost free level to lend a small measure of support <laughs> for your future activities. Keep up the great work. You have many fans like me who, though silent, nonetheless enjoy and benefit from your efforts very much sincerely eileen and bill and ben so thank you very 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 much for this email thank you for the artwork and it's awesome to know that people are out there raising their kids right on linux and destination linux podcast Absolutely. I, I know you were i know you were kind of joking but the truth is we actually we do try to keep the show family from friendly so I, we he's being he's jesting when he says that you know it's our target audience per se but it's certainly not something that that is that you know we have jettisoned the idea that there is a younger generation that needs to be on linux should be on linux we want them to be on linux and we want to be a part of that yeah, and uh absolutely. and so yeah so we, it, the, the content is absolutely structured so that people of all ages can listen yeah we've taken yeah, into consideration absolutely and and, and who's going to be building the next versions of Linux if not for the Eileen's and Ben's of this world? Yep, who's going to absolutely. build 61? Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. There you go. So don't forget, keep sending us these emails. We love reading about reading them out on how you lose, use Linux. Um, send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Our first story this week is ViOS 1.2.0 release candidate 9 has been released. Now, ViOS is a, an appliance-based distro that is specifically designed for firewall uh, routing and VPN. And I, these, this is one of those distros that, I, that have really, they've come into their own in the last couple of years. For the longest time, anytime we talked about routers, firewalls, or essentially edge devices, we talked about them as appliances, devices that you would purchase from the store, like Linksys or, or, D, you know, or, or Cisco or any of those. And um, what you found is that a lot of people started flashing alternative operating systems onto those devices. And that eventually evolved into uh, x86 and ARM devices where you would install an operating system from scratch. Well, ViOS is exactly that. It's an operating system that you can install on either ARM or x86. And it focuses on being an enterprise level router. So it's comparable to Cisco iOS, Juniper OS, um, rather than the small home office routers like uh, Linksys or D-Link. So it's great because you have the ability to spin it up inside of a virtual environment like VirtualBox or or, or your chosen hypervisor, and you can play with it a little bit and kind of get some experience before you actually put it in a production environment. The advantage is when you decide to actually take that le the next step and go into a production environment, you can install it on a you know a Dell R710 that has a bunch of uh, you know 10 gig network cards in it, and you can put it into a production environment and and scale up that infrastructure that you built at your house for free. And of course, the user interface and all of the commands and all of those things will stay consistent. You just put it on more powerful hardware. So the 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 uh, ViOS 1.2.0 is shipping with looks like kernel 4.19.4. Mm -hmm. They have uh, they have included things like a PPOE server, so you can 
you can implement your own uh, VPN and, and, and things like that. Um, it looks like a really cool project. I personally have not played with Violus. I've played with alternatives to it, but it is definitely on the docket for uh, testing. And of course, if it performs well enough, we would absolutely put it into, uh, into production at my small business. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, to be clear to people, it's, it's, uh, one of those things that's meant for enterprise routers, not really for like the home router. Um, uh, but there, there mm-hmm. are options for home router as well. Uh, like WRT or open to WRT. I mean, uh, but this is really cool because they also do this. And I think this, one of the things that's really cool about it is that they have the two different branch styles. So they release in a rolling release as well as a long-term support release model. And it, it's a really cool approach because that way, if you want to have uh, your like maybe your client would be on the long-term support release, but your infrastructure would be on the rolling release if you wanted to test out more things like that. So it's pretty cool that they're doing that. Well, even if it's meant for enterprise, like it can replace enterprise, you could still use this as a home router. I mean, the concepts are still the same, right? I really like the yeah. idea of installing this in a virtual box first, though. I hadn't even thought of that. That's a quick way to get in there well, and start playing with it. So not only can you install it and play with it in there, but there is actually a large trend in the IT industry of virtualizing edge devices. So what you'll do is you'll just pass through a network card and run your router inside of a virtual appliance. The advantage there, of course, is should something get corrupt or when you make a software change or an update or whatever it is, if that virtual machine goes down or something crashes or breaks, you can try a different configuration. And if it doesn't work, you just pass those network cards back to the old version or the other VM. And now you're back online. That and so is it, awesome. Yeah, the flexibility and the scalability and the redundancy is there for enterprise. So it's, yeah, you absolutely, you wouldn't even have to necessarily put it on dedicated hardware. In fact, if it were me, I would not. I would virtualize it. Nice. Never thought of that. That cool. sounds like a fun weekend project to me. <laughs> okay, so moving on to uh, another piece of information that came through to us uh, this week is that um, after the release of Fedora 30, well, whenever that might happen, might happen, there could potentially be a slight delay before Fedora 31 comes out. Um, and now before you all go thinking, oh, woe is me, this is IBM jumping in there and they're going to start messing around with things. No, um, it's, this has always been on the cards. Um, and the reason for the possible delay is they are going to restructure the way that Fedora is developed to rely more upon automated testing, um, improving the release process and making the infrastructure more scalable. Um, Now, to accomplish all of this, they may leave Fedora 30 in place for a while, perhaps even a year. Now, my understanding is that they normally release every six months-ish, it's 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 right? like six to ten months depending on the thing because they usually yeah. they, they aim for six right. months but it's usually around eight mm-hmm. yeah. so this is just them as i say giving you a heads up don't panic it's nothing to do with ibm they had it planned uh all along so mm-hmm. i'm not sure that any of us use fedora as our daily daily drivers i i have been using it for not as a daily driver for a while i did there uh, as you guys know and and like fedora i i do mm-hmm. think this is uh, it depends of course on how it comes out at the end of the day but i think this is a really good time for them to kind of stop and retool and put in some of the tools that they've been working on like the automated testing infrastructure but also in the scalability and possibly even working on making fedora even more approachable than it is today uh, I think those would be. I think it would be a good thing to spend the time doing that at this juncture and sitting on Fedora 30 uh, while most of us want that new shiny release every six to ten months. 
in order to do this is probably a good stopping point for a minute for them mm-hmm. to take a year to kind of do some of this retooling and make it easier for their developers to be able to work on instead of spending all the time working on little bugs and things like that, retooling it so it's easier to and faster for them to find these issues, more modular so they can plug some of the new stuff in. And of course, having the automated testing there uh, with less oversight is going to certainly speed things up. So you kind of pause the Fedora 30 and then you probably go super fast. Not not like they're going to release faster, but you go super fast in the gains that you'll get from Fedora from there forward. Yeah, they also said, uh, <laughs> yeah. Matthew Miller but, said I mean, that he was going to, that they're, they're, to be clear about it, they're not like saying that this is a, a done deal, that they're going to do this. This is more like they're mm-hmm. they're just discussing it at the moment. And that they, it's, there's, there's like a lot of potential that it will happen, but they don't know yet because they have to decide, like the Fedora Council has to decide about what they want to do with it. Uh, but it's really interesting because they, when Matthew Miller was describing how the tooling system works, they essentially are compiling everything all at once. And so like, if you say, if you change something in the big, a big stack, it'll compile the whole thing, like the whole ISO entirely and test everything. And that takes like wow. 12 hours to do. So they said wow. that if they change enough, they will sometimes will have to wait a whole day before they can, or depending on when they do it, they have to, to test it and try it out. So this retooling would basically like the goal is to get it down to about four hours per uh, testing. And then they said that it's potential that they might get it to two. Like that's the, uh, that's the, the, uh, the dream that some of them have said that they could probably get it down there too. Uh, but there's, he's saying, he was saying that four hours is probably like, uh, you know, a sweet spot because at least you could do it a couple times a day and not have to worry mm-hmm. about, you know, waiting so much. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's probably something they probably should do just because of like how much of a hassle they had to deal with as far as like, you know, testing the vinyl releases before they would put them out. Uh, and if they take a year to do this, I don't think it'd be about that big of an issue. Um, essentially, especially if they keep Fedora 30 updated a lot, because it's, since it's cutting edge, they would have to do that a lot more. Uh, but mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see if if GNOME also stops with the Fedora 30 or they try to roll that, you know, before 31 comes out because they usually just roll the next version of GNOME is is in the next version of Fedora. So if they were to try to, like, do like a, like a, 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 a release point, like, halfway through to make 30, 30.1.5 or something, I don't know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But I think this is probably a good idea. Also something that's probably a good idea... That's to uh, revert the patches that were found, we were talked about last week about the uh, performance killing uh, kernel patches, and last week we discussed these these issues with the uh, Spectre patches, and it had an issue of impacting certain types of processes up to fifty percent uh, speed degradation, and that they've decided that their uh, Greg H has released maintenance patches to kernel four point nineteen point four and four point fourteen point eighty three which reverts the performance-killing uh, STIBP, or the single-thread indirect branch predictors, that's fun to say, uh, that has been <laughs> uh, backported from 420. So uh, it's actually pretty good because uh, this is an interesting approach because there is still an issue that exists, but they're going to do it in the sense of like the people who need it could turn it on, and the people who are not likely to need it could just leave it off. So by default, they're going to leave it off. Um, that's, that's an interesting approach. And I think that it's probably, this is the best way because it's, it's probably, it's kind of the attack vector is so small. It probably isn't worth the performance degradation to push it out to everyone anyway. Not at 50%. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point you're losing so much. Isn't the best solution here though, just going to AMD, Michael? 
No. Wow, I wonder who wrote that. <laughs> well, okay. To be clear, maybe. I don't know. Uh, spe- this, this particular Spectre <coughs> issue, I'm not sure if it affects AMD or not. Some Spectre issues do not do affect AMD, but not all of them. Uh, but this one, does it, does it not require physical access to the machine? I'm pretty sure this, read one, that right? this one does. Uh, yeah. So, so again, it, like you, I mean, you said it eloquently, the attack vector is so small. Why would you not just say, hey, listen, if I'm the only one that has physical access to my machine, machine, don't chop my processor in half, please. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in, in most cases, I mean, like as far as the consumers more than likely won't have to worry about it. Maybe like, for example, like big companies would not be a target where people could go to their, you know, lobby and try to affect them in some way, you know, something like that, that they might be able to do it. Cause like, if you can get into the network, it should be possible depending on the, the attack for the, like which, what all patches have been applied to that, that, that company's infrastructure, because there's some uh, patches that you can do prediction and kind of jump across the network and stuff. So there's, it's, it's, it's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed, but for most people and most consumers and stuff, it's not really that big a deal. Um, so I don't think it's that much of a problem for it not to be on, and it definitely not worth fifty percent performance hit. So I'm glad they rolled it back. I think it was the right move, and you have it there to turn mm-hmm. back on if you are in a situation where you need super security in there and can't take the risk. Yeah. Uh, but for everybody else, you're good to go. Yeah, and also I don't you know, know AMD would be a better said... option for sure because you don't get meltdown that way at least. Yeah, mm. and I'd I'd love to have read the email because apparently uh, Linus complained about it. <laughs> so, yep. he was very he used his new nice cuddly friendly language it actually it and wasn't it, cuddly it, but it was much more polite yeah i mean there's a <laughs> bunch of blank spots everywhere so we don't know what was said in between those no <laughs> that's not true um no it was uh it was a very nice email but it was also very forceful in the fact that we can't have this kind of performance hit on linux and, and mm-hmm. i think it's fair so another program that hit the news that I absolutely love, and let me tell you something, you know, sometimes we talk about these releases and they're just little things that they change. This is a massive, massive. update to a program I absolutely adore. And in fact, funny enough, if you are not in the Lightworks camp or you don't like that, you don't like Caden Live, it also works as a video editor, which a lot of people don't know that part about it. It's a very robust program called Blender. Blender 2.80 beta is now available right before Christmas, which is a awesome Christmas gift to people like my brother who develop games utilizing Blender. Um, they don't, don't use it as an engine, but they use it as their 3D modeling tool, but it actually is a game engine too. This tool is ridiculous, ridiculous. by the way. Yeah. Uh, it's very powerful and robust. You can use it for game development, video editing, 3D modeling, and it's got a ton of of awesome features in here. They've got user interface improvements with dark themes and flat icons, which is not a big deal, but settings are more consistent, which is something that's been needed. Again, think about all the things this tool does. You've got to have that organization for the settings and tools, and they've improved the menus. This is the best one though. Left click is now your select. So if you've ever used Blender, the most annoying thing is if you want to highlight something it's right click instead of left click. It was, I don't know why they did that. Yeah. For those who like that right click thing, you can set it back to it. It's a setting in there, but now it's defaulted to left click. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Is this going to be the new single click, double click? No, this uh, one's, this one's everyone hated it. People who are Blender fans <laughs> yes. hated that part. There's, there's actually like, um, like Blender is, is a fantastic tool. I actually used it for video editing for a while, uh, but it is really, 
uh, robust. And at the same time, that's, that is, that's a negative to a lot of people because it takes a lot of effort to learn yes. different features. Like if you're learning the 3d modeling, you know, nothing of the video editing stuff. Cause their, their, mm-hmm. their functionality is completely different cause it has a, as a mode changing. So once you change the mode, everything changes the interface, the shortcuts, everything. So this mm-hmm. is great that they're doing the interface uh, consistency mainly because it's, it needs it. No, I was going to say one of the things that changed too is the tool system on the sidebar. When Michael was talking about when you would switch to video editing mode, a lot of the tools would still be more relevant to 3D animation and stuff. Well, now they've switched that. When you switch the modes, it switches the tool set exactly what it should be doing. This was a huge undertaking. Yeah, and it's been around for The thing I've always appreciated about Blender is it's one of those tools that exists that that really have a competitive advantage against all of its competition, platform agnostic, right? When you look at Blender as compared to any, mo- and what's, what's it, or modeling software, I guess? Yeah. Uh, animation rendering modeling software that you would have on any other platform, Blender can hold its own and is in fact used industry-wide for that. And uh, we just have to be lucky enough that those talented developers were willing to do that as open source. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the crazy thing is that when they first started Blender, it wasn't meant to be open. And then, because they started in the 80s. If you're not aware, it's been, it's been around for a long time and they started as a product. And then after they were using it as, as software for an industry, like um, modeling industry and like Hollywood and stuff, um, the, 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 the guy who developed it decided to buy out the company. And then he just decided to just open source it. Uh, and he didn't even, the term open source didn't exist at the time when he did it. It was just to, he just wanted to make it where people more people could be contributing to it. So he just kind of gave the source out and gave it a license that was like, yeah, whatever. And then eventually they changed it to like a legitimate license that word. And then when the open source was created, they adopted that. And it's, it's really good because it shows the longevity of a project can be like, can, can be sustained with open source and not just like the, you know, the, the, the Linux kernel being like one of the biggest or the biggest open source project, like all kinds of different things, including uh, a modeler, a video, video editor and things like that could be, you know, you could get benefits from that. And there's even some people who are making a feature length movie like CGI driven uh, entirely mm-hmm. by Blender right now. So this is, it'll be pretty cool. They haven't said when it's going to announce, like be launched, but I think it's sometime late next year, maybe, or maybe the year after I'm not, they haven't really given a, a date, but it's, it's fairly soon considering, you know, how much work goes into a movie like that. But uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Blender has been working on this version for like at least a year and a half, two years. Uh, and there've been, there's been a lot of people who are like, just wait, like waiting for this to happen because so much, uh, new stuff are coming into it. And like so the, the graphics engine is being fixed. Like they're fixing performance heavily, like all kinds of stuff. Uh, and the, the, probably the best thing is that they're making the functionality of different things kind of make more sense because there's actually videos and press conferences at, at like at BlendCon, which is like the blender conference where, uh, a guy was talking about how he loves blender. He's like, and if you don't understand how Blender works, I'll, it's really easy. I'll show you. If you want to do this one thing, then he goes to like this 24, five step process <laughs> to get to it. And it's like, um, yeah, see how easy that is? It's great. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, well, they've done a huge job to improve here. And this one year has paid off. They, they also added 2D animation, which you could technically kind of do in Blender before, but now they've made it a thing. And unlimited layers, so now you're not limited to just 20 layers like you were before. And you talked about speed, Michael, 30% faster rendering now than before. I think 
and you know what I loved about this project is when they talk about it, when they release their videos talking about it, they're excited. The developers are literally yeah. so excited. You can hear it yeah. in their voice. This is a labor of love and it shows and it blenders a complex program. I suggest picking up a book on it. Kind of like a Lightworks, you're going to want to do a little bit of research before you dive in. But once you learn it, it's limitless. You want to create intros to your videos. You want to model 3D characters. You want to do art. You want to do all of this stuff. Video editing, it's all there within Blender. It's such a cool tool. I'm so happy for them and can't wait to check it out myself and play with it a little bit. Yeah, nice. they you know they have the 20th century uh, what is it 20th century Fox uh, little animation thing you can change the text and then render it. So if you just want to get started, it's it's pretty simple. But to dig into and do anything powerful with it, yeah, it's going to take some time. Yep. So what's up in the mobile world there, Noah? Nakure is it Nakuno? Is that how we pronounce it? You have to ask Michael. Michael, how do we pronounce this? <laughs> Nakuno solutions. This, this one I would be guessing too, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm I'm naming them. It's Nakuno Solutions. If that's wrong, then now they've learned how to pronounce their name. I've decided. Um, essentially, they have uh, Nakuno Solutions <laughs> and Kitty have announced a collaboration that, and what they're going to do is they're going to compete in the in the mobile space, and uh, they're doing a really cool job with it because it's going to be a quad core. It's going to have a GPU. Uh, 5.5 inch touchscreen and aluminum body and you guys are gonna be happy about this a courage jack also known as 3.5 millimeter jack oh, yeah. um, it features kernel 4.14 and the best part is powered by you guessed it kde plasma kde had this to say open quote it is important that developers within the within the mobile eco, uh, ecosystem are able to work with open devices which are easy to modify and tweak and not locked to vendors to a particular operating system Nikuna solutions is working on one such device and will ultimately help improve the plasma mobile due to its open source nature close quote there is no price on this, but the uh, the logical competitor competitor rather in the arena is the Librem Five, and that's selling for five ninety nine, uh, and will be released in April twenty nineteen if everything goes according to plan. So, we can guess that it'll be somewhere in that probably five to thousand dollar price range. Um, <laughs> every time uh, you know, every time we talk about mobile solutions, somebody brings up the Librem series and Librem Five. So we'll just mention that right off the bat. Librem Five, uh, the specs are five point seven IPS display a 64-bit Cortex A53 CPU, um, three gigabytes of RAM. So we'll see. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I guess the, it looks like the, the price, we're, we're guessing that the price is going to be a little bit lower than the Leap. Yeah, it'll probably be lower. I mean, it, the the, uh, the processor that is going to be in the Librem is the uh, the MX the IMX8, and they're using, and the Nikuno is using the, or whatever, is using the IMX6. Uh, they the Librem five what they considered using the MX six but they thought it would be too underpowered so they wanted mm -hmm. to, that's why the delays happened really for the Librem five coming out because they they were going to be in January two thousand twenty nineteen but they had to uh, basically they had to push it back because the MX IMX eight wasn't ready at the time so mm -hmm. uh, I think this one will pro the the Nikino one will probably come out before the Librem five. I don't know when, but I don't think the April 2019 for the Libram 5 is going to happen. It'll probably be later in the year, uh, probably like the second half or maybe even the third quarter of the year. I'm not, I'm not usually a huge fan of players in the mobile sphere because I think it's a... I think it's a, it's a gone market, but the, the interesting thing is that they're teaming up with KDE Plasma Mobile, right? Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that is you have a very established product uh, and you have a very established project and you have a very established code base and a very established audience. And so it's not, they're not essentially reinventing the wheel. They're just 
scaling and tweaking an existing system into a, a different infrastructure. Yeah. And I think there, there's a place for that because a lot of us that use KDE tie our KDE experience to our Android mobile experience anyway. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, so, that's one and, of the and best so, reasons and, they and use Plasma. Well, so, well, here's the other thing, too, you have to consider. So consider the fact that all of the open source effort in in the mobile sphere is never wasted when a new player pops up because they can leverage the parts that work, jettison the parts that don't work, and 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 give it another shot. So maybe 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 the Librem isn't the thing that 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 sells this. Maybe the Nikuro Nikuro Mobile isn't the thing that that sells it. But one of these days, I feel like open source is going to crack that nut. Um, and so every one of these things is an iteration and, and one step closer to is having a true free and open operating system on the mobile platform. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's fantastic. They're using, I mean, obviously I'm a fan of plasma, so it's, it's, uh, it'd be, it's fantastic that they're deciding to use plasma mobile for this. So I will uh, be very interested to see what the price is and see whether it's worth it or not. Uh, because I think that, I don't know if plasma mobile is really ready to be in a product right now. Like it's, <laughs> Last I played with it, it sure wasn't. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's kind of like um like it has so much potential, and I know yes. that it will do it will do well once they get to the point where it's like at a production ready thing. I don't not it might not be ready right now, but um I, I am glad to see that this company is you know thinking about using what already exists and trying to help with that rather than trying to build their own. Uh, unfortunately, yes. that's one of the reasons I don't like the fact that Libra Five is doing stuff, and that might be another reason why they're delaying is because they're making their own interface for the phone, and uh, that's uh, potentially a problem. Where especially when you already had stuff like Plasma Mobile or UB Ports Ubuntu Touch, like that's a fantastic product too. Even like even right, yes, I don't know it if it, it, it's it's potentially. I mean, the Ubuntu Touch from UB Ports is kind of maybe production ready at that point. Like, you know, it's pretty darn close to it. In fact, you know, like I'm, I've been using it still to get ready for a video. But the reason why I've been taking so long to use is because I, I want to do everything on it. I want to see if I can do everything. And there are limitations. There are limitations, but it is the closest I've seen to a Linux mobile operating system that is ready to go out of the box. Now, in fairness, I haven't played with Plasma Mobile in a couple of months. I think was the last time I was playing with it. I think I showed it on this show, so you can find it on a on an episode. But it, you know, it it had all the potential and beauty of KDE that you could definitely see being leveraged appropriately. It's interesting to see something happen today with HTC that they they announced their blockchain phone, which is mostly I think poor timing because <laughs> all all of the cryptocurrencies are in complete deep dive right now. But what was interesting about the blockchain phone is not its ability to do cold storage walleting for bit, uh, Bitcoin and things like that, but the fact that it was including a new version of Android OS that they released that has a bunch of security layers in it for intrusion detection and things like that with physical switches. Mm -hmm. Now, why I say this is interesting is because HTC is a major player. Right. And they may not be as big as Samsung, but they're certainly Samsung's probably biggest competitor outside of Apple. So it's very interesting to see some companies making moves towards the security thing because we've all been trying to say at the top scream at the top of our lungs, security and privacy matters. The general consumer doesn't care. But if the companies push consumers towards that, that would be huge. And yeah. I don't know all the details behind HTC's new device and how secure it's going to be and how much of Android's infrastructure, Google's Android's infrastructure removes. But it was kind of a good sign to see that happen. Yeah, mm -hmm. it sounds pretty good. I mean, like it's HTC is definitely 
Uh, they were bigger like a couple of years ago, but they're as far as in the mobile the mobile phone market. Uh, but they are probably now in the top three at least, and uh, I think it's really good. They're trying. They're at least trying something different, um, especially um, you know adding security as one of the reasons they're doing it. So that's fantastic. Um, yeah. But I, I think this. I, I look forward to trying out this phone because if you look at the like the prototype like um, designs, very pretty. It does look really nice. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, like I, I think that like the the Librem Five is that is a it's kind of awkward how it looks because it's like this weird square, whereas the yeah. This new Kino thing is more like polished with a, like more rounded corners and stuff like that. So I, um, as far as visually looking, Nikino looks better. Uh, uh, hardware specs, Librem Five probably wins, but depending on which one comes out, I it's going to be interesting to see what happens with like if this this space gets like a competition to be like maybe not they're not going to out you know outdo Apple or or, uh, or Android, but maybe there could be a space for a third and. Um, Especially for the people who are security conscious and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm plus I'm, headphone jack, headphone jack, yeah. dude. plus headphone jack. Yeah, exactly. Courage jack. I call it the courage jack. Yeah. You Why need do you call it that? I'm curious. Because you know, I I don't I can't remember who I stole it from somebody, but uh, the the reason is because it takes courage to put that jack on there these days because it, it you know fights the Apple norm. You know, yep. th- there's this idea that we have to pull these useful That's features so out. Well, you know, it, what's so stupid? What's so stupid, Ryan and everybody? Is that you've you've got these phones and they say, well, we're gonna we're we have to take the headphone jack off. Why? Well, because we need it to be waterproof and we need it to be thinner. You know what? This is already hard enough to hold. I have to put a thicker case on it just so that I can get a so I can get some grip on the stupid thing. <laughs> yep. And you know what else I don't do? I don't dunk my phone in the sink very often. I don't bathe my phone. You know what? You know what I do do <laughs> every, every occasionally every so often. I plug a pair of headphones into it so I can listen. And I can't yes. do that when you take my mm. courage jack but off. You, but you I, can't you can't surf with it in your pocket then. Oh no! Well, I'll take Shot the Carl inability to yeah. I'll take the inability to surf if I can take the ability to listen to stuff. You know, it's funny. Yeah, Here's I like agree. when I remember it was what was the first one? It was the iPhone eight that came out that didn't have a headphone jack? Yeah, uh, no, it was it was the the Apple seven maybe. I, th- I think it, I think so it was, was like later than that. I think it was either the nine or ten. I was I was on a flight to Australia, Sydney, Australia. I'll never forget this. Sitting on a plane, and I see this guy doing one of these. I look at him, walk past, come back a minute later. He's still doing I said, buddy, I just got to ask you, what are you doing? He's like, oh, well, I had my uh, Apple iBuds or whatever in, but the battery died. And this doesn't have a headphone jack. So I'm listening to my, my Netflix or whatever it was he was listening to on like holding it up to his ear. I'm like, okay. Yeah. No, no, you you're wrong. Thing. You're wrong, Noah. Let me tell you why you're wrong, because Please. you're just not accepting dongle gate. All you need is a $50 dongle, oh. and you can put a headphone jack right on your phone. You My just mistake. Why did, you know what? I was, I was just going to say, that guy, he should have just went over to the nearest dongle store inside of the A330 <laughs> and just picked one up. I mean, how hard is that? Exactly. Every airplane has dongles for sale, I'm sure. By the way, I did that. I forgot my dongle. Couldn't listen to my headphones. Went to the airport store to buy it. $55 for that little tiny dongle lightning yeah, port. Yeah, right for being a fruity user. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you went, I take it you went to sleep instead. No, I paid $55 <laughs> and listened to my music. <laughs> wow. Well, there's Convenience. that. Convenience. So well, at least we have a courage jack on this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, on to some software news. Um, now, this next update that's coming out shortly has been two years in the making. Um, lots of volunteer work, um, and we're getting to the final stages now of Kodi 
18 Lear. Now, what I found incredible about this particular article is not, 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 not just the fact that code is a great product and it works really, really well, but it's the amount of work. Um, and, and some of these numbers that we're going to read out now, they're not like telephone numbers, it's ridiculous. Now, we've got over 9,300 commits to the, to the um, project, um, 3,000 pull requests, over 8,600 changed lines of code, 503, half a million lines of code removed, and nearly half a million code lines added. Um, and there's over 36 open source developers working on this. Um, and they're just... They just made some great improvements um, with the ability to play DRM content, integrated Wayland support. Wow, is Wayland a thing yet? I didn't, I didn't realize it was. <laughs> Zeb, um, how dare you? And, it will be. It will and be. Android and Android TV lean back suggestions. So I've used Kodi uh, a couple of years ago, but haven't, haven't used it since. Is anybody here uh, a Kodi aficionado? I Does anybody Kodi. know it well? Yeah, avid, avid, avid Cody user. Same. I, uh, I use, I use Cody on the Nvidia Shield. I tried it, liked it so much that I literally went out and bought seven Nvidia Shields, put them on every TV in my house. Just ordered another one actually on Cyber Monday to put in my RV, and uh, I ordered another one here for the studio. So I'm going to actually have one in here. Cody running nice. off the wow. Yeah, it's just I don't have enough good things to say about Cody. And then for the places that I want a TV, like when we go vacationing and stuff like that, I have a little Raspberry Pi that I flash with Libra Elect, use the Flurk, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, plug that into the to a Raspberry Pi, and I use that as my mobile Cody box. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, nice. so cool. Cody is one of the it's it's okay, it's definitely the best like um I would say it's probably one of the best entertainment centers period regardless of open source or not. But the, the open source part of it is what makes it amazing. And that what's really cool about this is that they're working on DRM content. They haven't said exactly what types of codecs and stuff they're talking about as far as like whether they're going to implement the Cisco uh, DRM thing that they built, uh, which would allow for Netflix support. If they were to do that, it would make uh, Cody one of the only options to even care about because it's, it, would be, it, would, it would basically at that point support basically almost everything. Because like if you you can already get YouTube and everything on like that and, and a, a ton of different channels that are like add-ons for Cody. Uh, if you had Netflix, because you can already kind of do Netflix, but it's a little it's a little wonky in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. if you if you if they were able to make it like built into the platform, it would be like awesome. But what I I think this is kind of ridiculous, and I am still very amused and happy for it. The Cody. Uh, this release is making uh, trying to make work for support to the Xbox. The latest version of the Xbox will be supported uh, with Cody at least a little bit. There's still there's still bugs on it, so they're working on making it. So the next re- hopefully this release will get it. But uh, there's but it's awesome because if you're not aware, Cody was originally called XBMC or the Xbox Media Center. So mm-hmm. it's great because they're going mm-hmm. to essentially go back to their roots like 15 years after starting the project. And uh, I think that's, I mean, I don't care. I don't have an Xbox one or anything, uh, but I think it's awesome just in the idea that if people who do want have an Xbox and want to use it, they can, you know, 
go back do like a nostalgic thing but with modern technology modern software and it's like it's fantastic uh, I, I, I don't think I, I respectfully just I don't think it's for nostalgia I think that there is a lot of people that look down and say well I would use my Xbox as a media center if there was an add-on for it if there's a way I could do that um, and so I and I, I think there's because I, so I've met the Cody I've met the Cody developers right you want to talk about some passionate folks man mm. these guys I mean it's it's weird because it's an open source product so it doesn't cost you anything and yet these folks, they will sell you. I mean, I, I, they could sell a they could sell a popsicle to an Eskimo. I'm I'm not kidding. I mean, these guys they're they're great salesmen, and they really sell you Cody. And I get down, I'm like, yes, yes. Where do I? Oh yeah, that's right. I can just download it. Um, but, but no, they, they're really really passionate. One of the things the developers are really passionate about is getting their product everywhere. So if you've ever seen one of their demos, one of the things that they do is they have three tables. So they've got one here and then two on the sides, and on the tables they just litter it all three tables with devices that run Cody and they'll show you say well it doesn't matter if you're an Apple guy we got it on Apple if you're an Android mm -hmm. guy we got it on Android if you want it on the fire stick on them they, for a while they had little uh, portable Nvidia shields little flip up little uh, portable game console deals and they would hand them out you couldn't keep them but they would hand them out to people so you had people walking around their little booth area with these Nvidia shields because Cody will run on anything everything from a Raspberry Pi to a how much is the Xbox one you know four or five hundred dollar game yep. console yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So I there there is Cody has become the de facto standard in living room entertainment, and I'm really happy to see that again. One of those things, much like Lender, we've reached that with open source. We're just the best, and it, it's not it's not it's not a function of loyalty. It's just a function of it literally is the best product out there. Yeah. I love what you said about it running on everything because one of the things that <clears throat> shocked me, I had somebody had bought me one of these Amazon Fire boxes. I hate. Yeah everything about that box, the recording and listening, all that stuff. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to really use that. I wonder if I could put Cody on it. So sure enough, they have a side-loaded app that you basically sideload your Android device, download the APK, you send it over to the Amazon box, it reconfigures, it runs Cody on it, and now you've got Cody. Think about the genius it is that they can get every one of these devices, even this Amazon box that's made to consume Amazon content only, and get it to sideload Cody and run perfectly on yep. it by the way and i mean they just they're so smart man. and it's really cool because you can inside of the the fire stick or fiber tv you can actually have it where it's a channel a part of the fire interface so you can just switch into cody or always use cody so if you want to use something like like it, it kind of makes it a best of both worlds at that point because you can have all your local content through cody and you can have like netflix and stuff like that through the fire tv interface so uh well that will make potentially not be important anymore because with the netflix support with or the drm content that they're talking about uh but it's a it's a nice way because when i uh someone someone asked me if they if they if they should get a fire tv stick or whatever and i was like if you want to because it is convenient and it's not it's, it's nice to have in some ways and then they were just asking me like once they got it like well how can i get this you know my content and i was like uh well you know i could put cody on there for you they're like, oh, what is that? Like, you'll see. And then I just give it to them. They're like, this is this is nice. <laughs> and 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 Cody is nice. Like Cody look like Cody it looks to, gorgeous. It, it used to have like a dated look, but the latest version of it is a beautiful. Like it is fantastic. And I'm a big fan of Cody, and I've been using it for years. And uh, I've also contributed to add-ons and stuff like that. There's tons of different things uh, that uh, Cody's great at. Uh, so I think that if you haven't tried Cody uh, before. You can run it on your laptop or your desktop and just kind of like launch mm -hmm. it that way. Uh, but if you would like to have like a set-top box, you can download a an ISO or distro called Libra Elec, 
and it is essentially a Cody distro that is entirely Cody appliance. Yeah, it's an appliance built through for it's it's it is a specifically a distribution made for Cody, and it's I think they call it um, just enough just enough operating system to run Cody or something like that. Uh, anyway, it's it's a fantastic thing. There are multiples that do that, uh, but I think that LibreElect is probably the best one. So, speaking about like things that are somewhat confusing, um, the <laughs> the Vesa VLK and Pro drivers and the Mesa and the Pro drivers and like there's a lot of confusion around these types of drivers from AMD, and it's like which ones you should use for. So, for example, a lot of people who are confused about whether they should use the Pro drivers or they should use the VLK drivers, they should use the Mesa drivers, and all kinds of stuff like that, and. It's, I can't it's, argue. I want to argue, but I can't argue. Yeah, exactly. It's, there's, it's, it's, it's pretty confusing. But uh, typically speaking, the the Mesa drivers are usually better in some cases uh, that people have, have, have said. And also other people said for depending on what you're doing, you know, gaming and stuff like that, uh, the Mesa drivers are better. But other things might be better for the pro drivers, depending on if you, thought, if you need that OpenCL and stuff like that. Right. But still super confusing because we have no idea. But thankfully... A uh, friend of the show, Michael Larabelle at uh, Pharonix, has benchmarked all of these different types of drivers using the RX 580, the R9 Fury, and the Vega 64 to to basically remove all the the confusion about it. So that's fantastic. Have you had a chance to look at this, the results? I definitely have. I was I've done a video like this. I get asked on my channel about this constantly. Which driver do I use? I was confused when I first switched to AMD, like we talked about, I think, last week, because I was like, where's the pro driver I install? I'm not used to not having to install a driver. And with AMD, you don't have to. Everybody, if you look in the support forums and things, will tell your average person who's looking to do gaming or rendering or just your basic things to utilize the driver that comes with the kernel. And, of course, you can sideload your Vulkan drivers in there, so you've got Vulkan support and things like that. But I really like that Pharonix did it and... Um, went through to kind of prove once and for all what's the answer. And unfortunately, it wasn't what I expected it to be um, because he actually found that the answer depends heavily on the card, which is quite a bit different than what you'll see in the support forums saying. So on some cards, it was actually better to utilize the pro driver uh, and depending on the game. And in some cards, it was better to use the message driver. Ultimately, I would still tell people, use the driver that comes with the kernel. You're going to be fine. You're going to have fantastic support. Look, the frames I get per second on the Vega 64 are ludicrous. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's dumb. You know, <laughs> when, you're, when you're at 170, 200 frames per second, are you really mad that you're not at the 174 frames per second by switching? So, I mean, we're already in ludicrous land for the most part. So I, I would just stick there. But it, I thought it was interesting that there wasn't this line in the sand based on these benchmarks to say definitely use this one and definitely use this one for gaming because he was doing mostly gaming there on there it actually showed there was quite a bit of difference which goes to show again because some people were you know arguing a little bit last week about this in the youtube comments that i'm sorry amd as much as i love them they've got to do some work here to create some consistency it's interesting because there's so many things that uh, it doesn't really matter, but at the same time, it kind of does matter. You're saying like the, the frames per second. So like, why do you, is it really that big of a difference? And it's kind of like, well, I paid for this. So I kind of want it regardless. <laughs> and it, oh, that's a I lot of people. 244th frame per second. Exactly. Versus a, I know yeah, I can't I, tell the difference between the 200 and 220, but like, Hey, 
I kind of want. I think that's a lot of people are taking that that, that approach, but uh, yeah, I, I I completely agree. If like, and also in some cases, like if your monitor can't support the higher frame rates anyway, it doesn't matter. So yeah, mm-hmm. you start you start losing the effectiveness of it if you're if you're sitting there with a sixty hertz monitor running at two hundred frames per second, you're you're not really seeing it. Um, so it's not really mattering much. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you get what you pay for and those type of things. So I, I just want to see, I, I love AMD. I love my card. By the way, the Vega 64 kills it in rendering with Lightworks as most AMD GPUs are known for it in their rendering abilities. So uh, I love the card. I just want to see that consistency there uh, with them. And I think they'll get there. They're the only ones open sourcing their drivers that I know of at this point uh, besides Intel, which may be another player in there that's going to push because they're supposed to have a GPU as well, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. So speaking of, if you're thinking about getting your loved one a gift, to Vega 64 would be one heck of a nice gift. <laughs> um, but uh, we wanted to do a little segment. I thought this would be fun for everybody to go around and uh, talk about some gifts for Linux loved ones. Because this is the season, right? We're going to go out there. And this is a time where you want to mark this. If you're listening to the podcast, you're watching the YouTube video this is the time to mark this time that we're starting to talk about this and send it to your spouse to make sure you get a good gift and not some stupid tie or something like that, right? So we're going to talk about the top gifts for Linux loved ones, for your loved ones that are also in Linux right now. And so there was an article out here that had some suggestions. Michael, are you going to, do you like any of the suggestions this article gave or yeah, are you going to come so. out with I your own? I think some of, I would, I'm definitely going to come up with my own, but uh, we can make our own list if we wanted to, but I think that uh, some of these are pretty good options because, like the Raspberry Pi three, uh, like they're, they're talking about the Model A plus. Uh, I think that's a good option, but any of the Raspberry Pis, uh, well, Raspberry Pi threes, those are like totally worth it, and they're a fantastic gift. And any geek would love that, regardless of like their their. Uh... If they don't like it, they're not a real geek. <laughs> there Your you go. spouse is an <laughs> imposter. That's true. I also yeah. like the fact that they have these. Uh, uh, they have a couple like stuffed animals that are both a uh, tux penguin and a gnu or a new technically, yeah. but they're promoting it like a gnu. Uh, so I think that's kind of funny. Uh, but overall, I think, I think most of these are kind of like, you know, just tossing stuff in. So they get enough, certain amount of numbers, like a uh, cufflinks. <laughs> I mean, yes. what? I don't care. Well, like, <laughs> even Unix stickers really. Yeah. I mean, stickers, I got, <laughs> like, I like stickers for a, sometimes, for but gi- for, a, for a gift though, for, okay, like, that's true. Christmas. Idea for you, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I mean, I just, for, it is kind of a weird gift, but also cufflinks. It's like, I mean, pe- I mean, most people don't even wear cufflinks anymore, but like, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, things like that is, it seems like they're just kind of like padding it for the numbers, but, uh, there are a couple things in there. External HD, yeah, that's a really that's a, 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 a external hard drive. That's a Linux specific gift right there. Yeah, exactly. I, so my go to gifts, I, I agree with the Raspberry Pi three. I also am a big fan of YubiKeys for Linux people when I'm looking for gifts. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. how I hand up a YubiKey and say, hey, you know what? This is that's something that what I found is it's something that every Linux user wants. Many of them don't want to spend their own money on it, partly because they don't know how great it is. But then the other part is that they just look at it and they're like, yeah, sixty five bucks to sixty five bucks, they won't do it. Um, that's a so, good. One. That's kind of my go-to, and I, they did include the Libra key, which wouldn't be a bad idea to go, uh, bad route to go either. Yeah, the Libra key is pretty cool too, and uh, the YubiKey has, uh, like, the latest YubiKey five has the NFC support built into it, so that's really cool. Uh, so you can have it to like not only to active, like get access to your your servers and your computers, but also your phone and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but the, I, I think some of these things are kind of like 
Yeah, okay. But the Steam gift card, that's always helpful, regardless if it's a Linux or not. Mm-hmm. But, like, you yeah. know, everybody, yeah. any, any gamer would love to have a Steam gift card. Um, Except Noah. Noah would be like, why did you send me this gamer I gift said, card? I said, I said any gamer. I Listen, listen. I have to open the locks. You know, if the lock is jammed, I've got to stick a card in there. I don't want to use one of my credit cards that it's actually useful to me. So, what, what else do I use? Steam gift card. Obviously. Duh. Obviously. Uh, but there are many things. I think that one of the things that was on here that was actually like kind of cool was the uh, the Linux cheat sheet T-shirt because it's basically oh, just, that's yes. so cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just a bunch of uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's just a bunch of like commands for the Linux terminal. But they're they're mm-hmm. written upside down on the shirt so that you look down and look at you see what the like there's like a reference point. Like, I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> that's um, genius, man. Yeah. Uh, but I think that also like there's you know there should be other things like you know. Um, May, perhaps like the this week in Linux T-shirt is a good option for. Oh gift come on, for... no, no! <laughs> Destination Linux patron, it's darn near free, and you could give it as a gift to somebody. Yeah, but Linux is everywhere. Everybody knows that Linux is everywhere. <laughs> so, so I think yeah. there's there's uh, the patron is a good option too. You can like just you can pay twelve bucks and you get a whole year to someone. That's a great option for them. Right, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, or I think a great option, honestly, would be. A donation to somebody's favorite distro or application as well. So if you've got a friend in the open source community, you know they love a certain distro or application. You could, you know, get a donation to that distro or app on their behalf would be kind of a cool idea. Yep. But I'm a big fan of headphones. I think headphones are one of the most underrated gifts out there, mostly because people don't know what sound they're missing. They get these Apple iPhones or whatever fo- uh, headphones come with their I phones. I agree. Air- headphones are the best. Yeah, and they don't know quality sound. But once you go into an audiophile quality like headphone, an AKG, a Sennheiser, a Focal, Audio-Technica, it will change your life. And music can calm you. It can, you know, it can play podcasts like this and better quality sound. The best. Um, But it's just something you really do end up enjoying a lot. And most people, like Noah was talking about, people don't spend money on themselves for things like the YubiKey. Headphones, people do the same thing. They go in the store, they're like, eh, I'll get the $15, you know, headphones. And you just, you're missing out on so much um, by not spending that extra money. So giving Uh, someone headphones, good gift. I agree. I mean, that's... And also, let's not forget as well, it's it's a good gift for your your pet because they can sit there chewing through the cables. <laughs> in in, in my case, I have reinforced cables just for such a situation. <laughs> yep. Nice. Well, Zeb, we've got a special article cooked up just for you in our gaming section. I've been excited all week to hear you talk about this. <laughs> well, funny you should say that because um, this week Ryan has plummeted to new depths. Okay. <laughs> I am almost lost for words. (laughs) However, I had a day off work today, and in my stupidity, I decided to give a couple of these games a go. All right? What's the the category for these games, Ab? It's at least two pixels. (laughs) In the immortal words of English, Bob, okay, and this this will be PG-friendly, yeah? I would rather pierce my eyelids with red hot needles than subject <laughs> myself to playing these games again. Okay. What? Yeah. And and to, to make it worse, and to make it worse, any minute now, Ryan's going to say, "Oh come on, Zeb, 
these games are classics. Just don't get it, dude. That was a great impression of Brian. I mean, less British, but let me tell you, there is nothing to get. Okay. Now, my favorite was some sort of dune buggy lander jumping thing. So you had a nice terminal window. Now, I've got to describe this because the, the graphics are just stunning. You had your terminal window. Then you had a row of, whether you want to call them pipes or exclamation marks, scrolling across the bottom of the screen. And this was your moon landing, yeah? And every now and again, someone had obviously, they've, they've got a sticky key or something because some of these little exclamation marks were missing. And they were meant to be de- depicting craters. Right, and then you had, you had. I think it was a a total of about five, five squares and a couple of rectangles, which denoted your moon landing. And then I had to read it, and I had to read it off of four different websites because the controls were really confusing. Yeah, hieroglyphic gaming. That's what it is. Ah, it was just like it was spacebar to move, and then the up arrow to jump. So you're sitting there watching the screen. You're going. <laughs> and i tell you what it's a bit like taking a multiple choice test that i used to do at school with a packet of smarties um i don't know what you call them over there but they're multicolored sweets yeah so red was a green was b blue was c so i actually sat there at one game and closed my eyes and just kept hitting the up arrow <laughs> If I didn't get my highest score <laughs> by not looking at the screen, I mean, come on. I mean, they even had, I think they called it Ninja Invaders, an old um, Space Invaders game. And the rest were just inexplicable. Just, you know. Zeb, was... what are you talking about? These games are incredible. You just don't get it. <laughs> Well, how can you, listen, not, how can you not like hieroglyphic gaming? Yeah, it sounds incredible. Yeah, I mean, you're getting <laughs> the most it? out of your NVIDIA graphics card when you're playing games like this. You know why? Because the programmers never intended for you to use it like that, and therefore, if it can run it, you're golden, man. Yeah, just shocking. Yeah, really? well, this is the articles that I was talking about is that I gave them as best ASCII games that are good, and the ASCII games here. Um, are said to be insanely uh, fun to play here, according to the article, Zeb. And I thought, well, my friend Zeb would love this. It was, <laughs> and, and some of the top ones were Curse of War. Yeah, and ASCII Sector, Doom RL, which is an ASCII version of Doom. How could you not like I mean, that? that's awesome. Well, well, what was really scary was that on Doom RL, the, the, the faces of the monsters were made up of like 54 straight lines instead of just four for the hero. <laughs> really? I didn't even play any of these stupid games. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I looked at this la- wow. list and just laughed and laughed and laughed and made sure your name was there, Zeb. But thank you for trying them out for us, man. All right, Michael, give us another game that, honestly, I laughed at this one because yeah. what the heck? <laughs> yeah, I laughed. I laughed at, and when I looked at this when I first saw about it, I was like, um, okay, then. Sluggish Morse, I guess, is, is a claymation, a 2D, a 2D claymation adventure game. Uh, they 
2D part is like it's claymation, so it's most it's like a 2D scroller platformer type game. Um, but it has uh, all the art is claymation based, which is really interesting and really funky looking too. It's so weird. Yeah, it's it's I. I can't really describe anything that's in the screen. Like when if you watch the video, it's like I don't know what this is. I don't I don't know what like any of this is. Okay, okay. I had there's a setting. There's a character walking around. I don't know what it's supposed to look like or what it's supposed to be, but like it's there. Uh, so I think it's interesting, and I'm I'm glad to see that there's there's games that are like people are, are stretching the limits of like what is possible. But this might be too much of a stretch. Well, you know why I put this in there? Because this was the game I was going to troll with Zeb first. But then what I noticed <laughs> you found was, something better. <laughs> I found something better with the ASCII games. <laughs> but then what happened is I, I noticed that Liam on Gaming on Linux talked about how much he loves these type of games. And I thought, well, maybe there is something here in this. But it, it's very bizarre even the video where they're explaining it has like one of those poorly holographic versions of the developer telling you about the game. And then there's all of this trippy stuff going on all over the place. But yeah, I, I'm proud of you, Michael, for there's a Kickstarter out there if you're interested in, in pledging towards it. Um, but I'm proud of you for finding some positives to say about the video. That, go. my <laughs> sir, is talent. There you go. I mean, there. It is interesting that they're doing using claymation to make a video game. It's not the first time that's been done, but yeah, okay. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's first. It's just interesting. Let's hope it's the last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe uh, it's a cool game, but the video that they have explaining it is just too weird to really figure out. So we'll have to see if they're uh, when they release the game there, but. Now it's time for the software spotlight in there, and I wanted to spotlight Synfig. Is that how you pronounce it, Michael? I don't know. I'm gonna. I would guess. Okay, well, that's about right. As Noah said, I declare now it's Synfig, and now they know how to pronounce their own product correctly. It's a 2D animation software. I've actually used this off and on several times for different projects throughout, especially when I first was kicking off on Linux and was doing some vector graphics and things like that. But it's an open source. 2D animation software. So if you get into Blender and you're like, listen, I just need to do something simple, some vector tweening, some shaping, and add some basically 2D animating software that's not over the top, this may be a quick fill-in until uh, you get your courses in for the Blender and those type of things. But it's a very cool system that has features like the full bone system to control the characters. If you've ever done animation with the art having the bone structure available is the difference between having realistic walking and movement of your characters and not so it's a very important thing to have in there uh, for your 2d animations and if you go on their website the stuff people have done with this tool i was like embarrassed that i ever even used it when i looked at <laughs> some of the stuff other people were doing oh my gosh so if any of you guys use synfig before I haven't. I've used things like, it, but I haven't used this one in particular. Um, but I, it does sound like something that uh, is very useful for any kind of like uh, you know video intros and stuff like that. Because a lot of animations could be done in a two D form and then like converted into like three D modeling stuff like that. Uh, I think this is uh, this has a lot of potential. Yep. So something to go check out there uh, if you're interested in in finding software for that. So Noah, what's our tip and trick of the week, sir? 
You know, the tip and trick of the week is the one of the first things we all learn to do when we start using Linux, especially when we get to the command line, is we learn how to copy files. Now, we all know that the command is CP, but what separates the kitchen ninjas from the true samurais are knowing what all those little switches, command line switches, after the TAC, what they actually do. So we got a couple of them for you this week. TAC-I, or the dash I, is confirmed before overriding. TAC-N is no overriding, doesn't allow it at all. And TAC-B is overriding with backup. So an example of that might be copy tack b source directory space target directory that's going to overwrite the file if the target target directory exists but it creates a backup file so when you screw it up you can recover your files and you're not totally hosed. yeah i have to be very um, careful when i use uh, cp when i'm doing stuff because I'll, I'll actually create uh, a bunch of bash scripts and then i'll have to remember if i've already put it into the bin, the user bin or not and then i'll have to like pseudo cp into it and like send it in and then sometimes i'll forget oh i gotta overwrite this okay you know, like sometimes, uh, like I the, didn't the know about backups. I didn't know about the switch dash B. That was like, mm-hmm. where is this been my whole life? The, the well, dash B. <laughs> truth, truth be told, the vast majority of system administrators will tarball up whatever directory that they are going to do some work on. It's a production system. They'll tarball that up and throw it aside, and then they do their actual work. I've not actually ever seen uh, TAC B used in production. Oh. Um, uh, but personally, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's yeah. now there's going to be a thousand people that write in and go, it's a dumb system administrator. We all use it. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. I, I have used the attack I a lot because it's just, just to make sure that if it is something yep. there, uh, but it, it it's uh, like you, there's a lot of different things like this, like the, the CP and the REM that are like very useful, but you have to make sure you use the right flags so that you don't mess things up. Uh, so like, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one in here too. tack R. Uh, recursive. One of the, I, I think, uh, anytime I use copy, one of the most useful uh, switches that I use is TACR, which will not only copy the directory itself, but it will copy any subdirectories that are in there yeah. and all of their associated. Mm-hmm. So yeah. TACR, throw that in there. That's a good one. Yep. Hey guys, episode 100 of Destination Linux. We're excited. It's going to be a huge celebration, but it's going to be postponed just a little bit because Michael didn't plan correctly to accommodate a guy who has to move his pick up his life and move. So episode 100 is actually going to be live December 14th. So it's not going to be next week. That'll be the week after, but make sure you stay up to date on all of our social media and for uh, for upcoming announcements. By the way, if you're only if you're participating in just the show and you're not following us on social media, then you're only getting half the party. Patreon.com slash destination Linux for less than the price. I'm trying to think uh, less than a v- dollar value menu fries at McDonald's. Yeah, you can it's get actually you can more than a dollar. Your- yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So you can get your you can get your weekly Linux content and you can support our show and make sure that we don't start to death because then we can eat the dollar menu. So prize. hungry. <laughs> exactly. Destination or teespring.com slash destination Linux. You can show your destination destination Linux swag and your uh, and your approval of us. Show us off to your friends, not to mention we're going to take even the geekiest nerd and make him look sexy. So you can find that at teespring.com slash destination linux and of course you should check out our youtube channel at uh, youtube.com slash destination linux there like i say you'll get the full party and can participate 100 percent you can find ryan at youtube.com slash dos geek zeb is youtube.com slash slash zeb d boss Zebedee and boss. of course mike yeah. zebedee boss zeb, that man that rolls out the tongue once you get it michael of course tuxdigital.com <laughs> My show, the Ask Noah Show, is a weekly talk show every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, asknoahshow.com. I'll take your Linux questions. I'll answer them and, and do my level best not to screw it up. Well, we want to say a huge thank you for huge. all of the incredible huge. support for watching, listening, 
to Destination Linux. Of course, we've had a tremendous amount of support and growth because I started talking more, or maybe because Noah joined. One or two things happened. Or I'm not sure. It could be one of the three there. Yeah, yeah, yeah one of the three. But uh, we've had a huge amount of support, let's, let's and we appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And Zeb, how can people get a hold of us? Um, well, they can contact us at comments at destinationlinux.org. Um, and as we say every week, we really do like to read your comments, and sometimes we struggle just to decide which one we're actually going to be putting in the show. So keep your comments and suggestions coming, how you use Linux, and maybe any hints and tips um, so that we can listen less to Ryan and more to the rest of us. <laughs> so that'll always be, that'll always be cool. And uh, if you want to contact us, you can also get us on our social, me so social, social media channels, um, and that includes Telegram, Discord, Google+, Twitter, and Mastodon. And I'm sure there's a, a whole plethora of other um, items out there. And that's available at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So, Michael, what do they need to do every week? You need to keep liking that smash button. Mm. And, yeah, as, as Zeb said, you need to share the show on social media. And, uh, uh, again, also the, uh, check out our individual channels because we, we all do separate content that is just as compelling as this show. Uh, so definitely check it out. And, uh, you know, uh, if you, if you aren't, I wouldn't say just as compelling as I was going to say uh, maybe, maybe digital is just as compelling, but I, would but say my stuff, I, I was being generous to everybody. Okay. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so well, now you've been corrected. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, if you'd all, if you'd like to join the, the watch, uh, watch the show alive and experience the, the full content, you can, as, as Noah said, you can join the pa patron. And become a patron with patreon.com slash destination Linux. Hey, everybody, have a great week. And remember that the journey is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Happy birthday, oh. Zeb. Yeah. Thank Happy you. Birthday.